Good evening. This is a presentation of Movement Radio. Welcome to another edition of The Hauntings of. And now, here are your hosts, Chip Hazard and Talon Williams. <laughs> Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of Movement Radio and The Hauntings of. My name is Talon Williams, and alongside Chip Hazard, we are here to discuss the hauntings of West Virginia. So, Chip, what can we look forward to in today's episode? Well, uh, West Virginia has plenty of paranormal activity to share. The Mountain State can boost apparitions of Civil War soldiers, encounters with extraterrestrial beings, and ghosts of murder victims still seeking justice, along with many other paranormal anomalies. So why don't you join us as we jump right in to 10 of the most haunted places in the state of West Virginia. Yeah, so we're going to kick it off with Lake Shawnee Amusement Park, and this is in Mercer County, West Virginia. In the late 1700s, there was a bloody altercation between a white settler named Mitchell Clay and the local tribe of the Shawnee Indians. The, this resulted in the tragic death of three of Clay's children and a number of Swanee warriors. Some say that these deaths have left a curse on the land. This may well be the case because in the 1920s, a local businessman brought the land, bought the land and built the Lake Shawnee Amusement Park. Over the next couple of years, several people died in accidents at the park and it ended up closing in 1966. The abandoned remains of the park are now considered one of the most haunted locations in West Virginia. There are regular paranormal tours of the property, and many people have reported seeing apparitions of a man and a little girl dressed in pink. That's sad enough as itself. Yeah, at least it wasn't a girl dressed in white. There you go. There you go. But then again, it could 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 it be a white dress, and the reason it's pink is because of all the... The bloodshed, because red and white together make pink. Never mind, that's a different story. It would still be a darker red. Uh, never mind. Yeah. yeah. Blood coagulates differently, I guess. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, I mean, when you, when you think about it, and then the, the, the picture that they use is a very eerie picture, something you'd see on, like, the back of, like, a death metal album or something like that. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, I mean, but the tragedy of the three children that died, obviously, um, could one of those children be this little girl that's dressed in pink it's it's very possible right i, I mean I, I don't it's very possible right and then for the alter i mean obviously the altercations i mean if you know if if number of uh shiny warriors were killed then obviously people consider that you know, okay that's not that it's a it's a burial ground by any stretch of imagination but it is where they had their quote unquote last stands or so or some or so to speak. Um, you know, but then you if if they say the land's curse, and obviously the, this businessman, it doesn't give the businessman's name, um, bought it and then had the amusement park. Um, and then many there have been several people died in accidents at the park. Um how many accidents you think really occurred before he finally just said, you know what, we're shutting this thing down. You know that I mean, that in and of itself is, is crazy to think about. Like, yeah, how many accidents happened before 
it was just like, okay, I mean, that was one too many. Right. Let's go ahead and shut her down. Yeah, because he bought it. They said they bought it in the 1920s. So let's just say, just for the sake of argument, it was the year 1920. And they closed it in 1966. That's still, you know, 46 years of being in business before you decide to shut it down. You know, so give or take for either 46 or 36, depending on the year, whatever, in the 20s. You know, but how many accidents within that time frame took place, you know? And was there a certain ride like like the picture that they show looks like almost like a carousel almost not a carousel um more like one of those old school swing um uh, amusement you know what I'm talking about? like almost looks like a tilt a whirl not a tilt a whirl uh you know what i'm talking about i can't think of it off the top of my head <laughs> i don't know what you're talking about it's been it a long time since I've been... go ahead uh it, it kind of reminds me of um like uh, one of those swinging merry-go-rounds. There you go. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, swinging merry-go-round. And the picture is eerie as fuck. Anybody wants to see it? And Chip, if anybody wants to check out this picture, where can they go? Uh, as always, check out hauntedrooms.com. We're not sponsored, but we hope to be one day. Exactly. So shout out to Haunted Rooms America. That being said, though, let's move on to the very next one. You got it, Bubba? I do. Next up, we are going to talk about... The North Bend Rail Trail Tunnel, number 19, and this is in Ritchie County. Um, so the North Bend Trail extends for a total of 72 miles and is very popular with hikers, cyclists, and horseback riders. However, all of them need to make sure that they are particularly careful when navigating tunnel number 19 which is also known as the Silver Run Tunnel, as it is said to be extremely haunted. Okay. So as far back as 1910, reports started to emerge of a young lady in a flowing white dress standing on the tracks. There's our lady in white. There we go. Uh, she was first seen by an engineer who brought his train to an abrupt halt thinking that he was going to hit her. But when he goes out to look for her, she had gone, vanished, just disappeared into thin air. Mm. So over the years, many of his predecessors also experienced the same thing. It is not at all clear who the young lady is or why she is haunting that very tunnel. However, it is said that some human bones were uncovered under a house very close to the tunnel. If you mm. want to go looking for this lady in white, then you're going to need a flashlight. Because even in the daylight, since the damp tunnel is 1,376 feet long and daylight does not penetrate this tunnel. Ugh. Yeah, I don't know if I want to go in it if that's the case. I mean, well, unless I, unless you have a flashlight that can produce like, you know, 22,000 lumens or something like that. That way it's like a spotlight in your hand. But even then, that's a lot, you know. Right. Uh, now, the, the picture that they provide, once again, from hauntedrooms.com, uh, is very reminiscent of a tunnel... Uh, right here by my house uh you know which one i'm talking about yeah 
Uh, yeah, it's the one they use for the Tennessee Valley Railroad Museum, right? That is correct. Uh, and when we were younger, we used to walk through this tunnel that still um, has the train tracks in it and still uh, the train still runs on it every day. Uh, but just in the same vein, when you get about halfway through this tunnel, it's jet black. Yeah. Uh, now you can see, you know, the 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 light at the the end of the tunnel either way, but you can't see anything directly in front of you. Yeah, that's uh, scary. Like, I mean, in, in all intents and purposes, that is just, it's 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 a weird feeling, you know. Like even in a dark, like you walk into a dark room, you can't really see anything, and you have to give your eyes a chance to adjust. You know, like if I open my eyes really, really wide, I can see shapes and shadows and stuff. And even then, it's sometimes very difficult, especially if you're in a dark room. Um, because anytime you're in that sort of pitch black darkness, you get that that sense of I don't know where I am. And then you automatically go into panic mode and you start breathing heavier, you know, and then you're, you're worried, OK, well, where the hell am I? You know what I mean? Like what what's in front of me? You know, and even to the point to where, like, you shine a flashlight and you can't really still tell even with the flashlight, you know, that something. Right. You know, um, but it does. I do want to know about this lady in white and why she appears in the tunnel. There's the question. I mean, because they said that, that the human remains or the, the human bones were found near the tunnel, but they didn't say anything about the lady. But the, now, if the bones were inside the tunnel or. You know, that might be a different set, a different discussion. Maybe the human bones are from a different, like, how would they correlate with each other? Does that make sense? Like, that would be my question. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know what, what they have in common. Like, why, why, do, what do these bones have to do with this tunnel? Unless it's, those bones are the bones of this particular young lady and maybe she was murdered at this particular tunnel and then moved and buried under this house or maybe her bones were moved and buried and then later a house was built on top of it i'm not sure uh yeah. but it, then the house would be haunted like, though wouldn't it uh, maybe but i mean she was it, it, it would depend on where she chose to haunt the would she choose to haunt the place of her death or the place of her burial right so i would guess yeah you would you would want to haunt the place of your death more you know you know you know maybe you know being on the passing train and you know i mean you i mean you think i mean several engineers have went through this you know, thinking that they're going to hit somebody because they see them. And, you know, I mean, that's got to be weird for the conductors. You know what I mean? Like, I wonder how many conductors have said, I'm not going through that tunnel. No, hell no. I, that, that, that crazy uh, lady's in there. She might, you know, come through the tunnel and get me. I ain't, I ain't taking that chance. I ain't right. taking that risk. <laughs> but, yeah, but, yeah, I mean, for it to, for, for that long of a tunnel to have, I mean, you can, like, so you can't even see daylight on either side. Like, yeah, that, that, that would freak me out a little bit too, you know? Yeah, no, it's crazy. Yeah. 
So that being said, we're going to move on to the next one. Now, this one is 22 Mine Road, and this is in Logan, West Virginia. Now, I'm going to tell you guys a little story about a lady by the name of Mamie Thurman, okay? Mamie, Mamie? Thurman. Mamie. Mamie okay. Thurman. Mamie Thurman lived the life of a carefree flapper, whatever the hell that is, during the Prohibition era. But it seems that she may have thrown a little too much caution to the wind since she ended up being discovered dead on the lonely 22 Mine Road. A local handyman was charged with the murder. But most people believed it was a well-known banker that Mamie had an affair with who was the real murderer. Her body also disappeared and there are no records of her burial. Perhaps this is why her restless soul is said to be haunting 22 Mine Road. She is often seen there in search of justice and a final resting place. Now, I started, I did a little bit of research and... I looked up another. I looked up something else. There's, a, there's actually a Wikipedia article about Mamie Thurman herself, and okay. it says, okay, she was born in 1900. She died in 1932, and it says that Mamie Thurman was an American woman who was whose slain body was found and recovered on 22 Mine Road near Holden, West Virginia, on June 22nd of 1932. The site is about seven miles from Logan, West Virginia. Born in Louisville, Kentucky in 1900. Now, Mamie, she was born Mamie Morrison in Kentucky on September 12th to George Morrison and an unknown mother who died when Mamie was three years old. In 1924, Mamie and her husband Jack Thurman moved to Brad's, Bradfordsville, Kentucky, moved from Bradfordsville, Kentucky, I'm sorry, to Logan County, West Virginia, where Jack was hired as a patrolman with the local police department. Jack and Mamie rented a small two-room apartment over a garage located in the backyard of Harry and Louise Robinson's home. Robinson, Robertson, I'm sorry, worked, as, worked for the National Bank of Logan and served as treasurer of the Logan Public Library. Jack worked nights and was under the assumption his wife did not venture out at night. But this was not the case, despite the fact that the 31-year-old Mamie was known as a good wife, a saintly woman, and a faithful church worker at Nybert Memorial Church. She was also frequented the local nightclubs and speakeasies, where she was known for her popularity and friendly disposition. She was a hoochie mama. <laughs> These, I'm sorry. Mrs. Thurman was also <laughs> shut up. <laughs> Mimi Thurman was also allegedly having an ongoing relationship with Harry Robertson and more than a dozen other powerful men in the county. Okay, now according to the medical authorities at the time, Mamie Thurman's death resulted from her uh, throat being slashed from ear to ear. After which she was shot twice in the left side of her head. Okay, you figure slit in the throat would be enough, but nah, you got to prove a point. The body was found in a patch of blackberries by a local boy who then called the authorities. Found alongside the body were, were one shoe, a diamond engagement ring, and a silver wedding band, which ruled out robbery as the motive for the death. The other, yeah. shoe, the other shoe and her purse, which contained $9 in change, cigarettes, and a wristwatch, were found 30 feet away that day. 
Morticians would later uncover bloody rags and a razor in the home of her landlord, Harry Robertson. Yeah, Harry Robertson. The same uh, house co-defendant Charles uh, Stevenson lived in the Robertson as a Robert as uh, the Robertson's handyman. The manner and brutality of her murder was a shock to the citizens of this small quaint town in southern West Virginia. The arrest and eventual conviction of the handyman raised many questions in Logan as the investigation involved several prominent citizens. The trial was standing room only and many spectators brought their own chairs and basket lunches to court. This is the biggest thing that's ever happened in this small town, apparently. Uh, yeah, apparently, yeah. Mamie Thurman's death certificate filed at the courthouse states she was buried at Logan Memorial Park in McConley, West Virginia. Other records show that her body was transported back to her home in Bradsfordville, Kentucky. It remains a mystery to this very day where Mamie Thurman was buried and if the man convicted in her death was actually the one who murdered her. Now, let's play uh let's play um detective for a second, okay. okay? So, let's look at everybody who's involved in this situation, okay? So you have Mamie, who is the one who died, okay? Right. On her body was one shoe, a diamond engagement ring and a silver wedding band. Okay, so we, they ruled out robbery. Okay, cool. Let's rule out robbery. Now we got to think of the suspects. You got to look at the husband, Jack. You have nope. to look at um, Harry, who he, she was having an affair with. You have to look at the handyman, obviously, because he's the one who they all said, you know, they found, oh, that's where they found the bloody rags and the razor blades. Right. But at the same time, it also could have been Louise, uh, Harry's wife. So in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, okay, couple of scenarios here. One, Jack knew about his wife, or it, Jack found out about his wife and murdered his own wife. Sent because the, the engagement ring and the wedding band was on the body. Maybe he slit her throat, shot her twice, and then threw the threw the uh, the, the, the 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 rings down on top of her. Maybe that's a scenario, right? Then again, you also have Harry, who he was who she was having an affair with. He could have been the one who killed her and be like, you know what? I don't want my wife to know, and I don't want you to end up telling her because I'm getting a little worried. I think she's getting suspicious. Bam, you're dead, right? But then again, it could also be Louise because maybe she did find out that Harry was creeping around, and she decided I'm going to take out his mistress, take it out like that. And because both Harry and Louise were both in the house and they obviously hired Charles Stevenson to be the handyman, it was easy for them to just put all the evidence in the handyman's uh, area or whatever to make it look like he's the one who uh, murdered Mamie. Um, so out of all these scenarios, what do you think? Where Where's your headline? Where's your head at with this particular story? To me... It sounds like a crime of passion. Yes. Um, that's that's what I'm getting out of this. Uh, because either in the scenarios that we have, either the husband found out about it and killed her. Her lover killed her because he didn't want his wife to find out about it. Or 
the wife found out about it and killed her for having an affair with her husband, I think it's less likely that one because why didn't she kill the husband too? See, see, I was thinking that same thing. I mean, she would have killed the husband before she would have killed the girl. You know, you you would think you would think, but then again, but this is the 19, this is the early 1900s and you know, there's no, there's no internet. There's no social media. There's no selfies. There's no, you know, hell, I don't even think they had disposable cameras in the 1900s, you know, right. no incriminating uh, evidence, you know, exactly. Now the, the last scenario that I want to throw out is maybe somebody else found out about Mamie, uh, having this affair with this guy. Right. Right. And decided, Hey, I want in on the action. He propositions her. She says no. Mm -hmm. And he kills her. That, 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 well, I mean, it does say that Mrs. Thurman was also allegedly having an ongoing relationship with Harry and more than a dozen more powerful men in the County. Exactly. So it, I don't want to go as far as to say cover up or go as far as to say, you know, like small little, not, not, not secret society, but more like a, like a, uh, like almost like a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Help me out here. Um, like a group of, you know, powerful people, like the secret don't need to get out. We need to handle this, you know? Right. Um, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. Any, like, I, I, I know, I know what I don't want to go as far as mafioso. Hard, like, I don't want to go as far as mafioso. Cause that doesn't seem like something, you know, no, I would definitely go that far and say okay. mafioso. Okay. Yeah. Cause that's what it has seen. So, so we have all these different scenarios and I honestly believe, I mean, just by reading the story and just looking at the story that's, that's given to us, I think, Oh, Mr. Stevenson got the shaft on this one. Uh, definitely you know unless you know maybe and i mean another scenario maybe mr stevenson was upset because or maybe kind of like maybe mr stevenson was the one in your scenario where he maybe have propositioned and you know maybe have killed her but but back then man it was so easy just to plant evidence on somebody you know what i mean so exactly you know so it, this is one of those interesting ones um you know, I will definitely say this is probably, as of now, one of the most interesting ones that we've talked about uh, in a couple of episodes. This one's very, very interesting. But... Uh, definitely. I think <coughs> as well. Excuse me. All right. So let's move on to the very next one. You got it, Bubba? I do. Next up, we're going to talk about the Lewisburg Historic District, obviously in Lewisburg, West Virginia. So one thing that West Virginia seems to have in abundance is towns that are haunted as opposed to just single buildings. And one such town is Lewisburg, in particular, the historic district. Visitors to the town say that the... I'm sorry. Visitors to the town say that late at night, they hear moaning and cries of pain coming from the old stone church. Since the building served as a Civil War hospital... This is thought to be the spirits of wounded soldiers. Okay. Okay. We've we've kind of touched on that in you know several of our 
earlier episodes where we were talking about states that were involved in the the Civil War, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so the General Lewis Inn is also very haunted with up to three spirits in residence, all of whom are tricky and mischievous. Ah, playful okay. spirits almost. Yes. The... Um, the most famous spirit here is an entity that is known only as the Greenbrier Ghost. Okay. Um, and this is the ghost of Zona Hester Shue, a lady who was murdered by her husband, but also helped to convict him when appearing as a ghost. Uh, what? Yes. How you did heard, you heard how, that right? How? How? Like, I mean, did she come to somebody in a dream or something like that? Or All how? Right. How did? How did that happen? Well, luckily enough, there is a Wikipedia page all about the Greenbrier Ghost. Okay. Okay. So, uh. In October of 1986, Elva Zona Hester, who went by her middle name, Zona, met a blacksmith a blacksmith named Erasmus Stribling. Wait, did you say 1986? Uh, 1896, sorry. Oh, okay. Hey, I hear you both. Yes. Uh, yeah, in October of 1896, Elva Zona Hester met a blacksmith by the name of Erasmus Stribling Trout Shoe. Erasmus? Uh, I'm not sure that that's even the most unique name there. Yeah. (laughs) Erasmus Stribling Trout Shoe. His mama must have hated him. Anyway, Anyway, go ahead. uh, And then she married him soon after taking his surname of Shoe. On January 23rd, 1897, Zona was found dead in her home. The cause of death was listed as childbirth. She was buried on January 24th, the very next day, in the local cemetery known now as the Soul Chapel Methodist Cemetery. All right, so there's our timeline. Okay. October of 1896. So they were married October, November, December, January. Four months. And she she winds up dead. Right. Okay. So her mother, Mary Jane Hester, later claimed to have seen Zona's ghost at her bedside. And according to Mary Jane's story, Zona insisted that Erasmus had murdered her. So, armed with the story allegedly told to her by the ghost of her daughter, Mary Jane Hester visited the local prosecutor, John Alfred Preston, and spent several hours in his office convincing him to reopen the matter of her daughter's death. Now, whether he believed her story of the go- of the ghost or not, he did have enough doubt to dispatch deputies to re-interview several people of interest in the case, 
including Dr. Nape. He was likely responding to public sentiment as numerous locals had begun suggesting that Zona had been murdered as well. Mm-hmm. So Preston himself went to speak to Dr. Nape, who stated that he had not made a complete examination of the body, and this was viewed as significant justification for an autopsy, and an exhumation was ordered, and an inquest jury formed. So, on February 22nd, 1897, uh, almost a month after her death, Zona's body was examined in the local one-room schoolhouse. The autopsy lasted three hours and found that Zona's neck had been broken. Mm. According to the report published on March 9th, 1897, the discovery was made that the neck was broken and the windpipe was mashed. On the throat, there were marks of fingers indicating that she had been choked. The neck was dislocated between the first and second vertebrae. The ligaments were torn and ruptured and the windpipe had been crushed at a point in front of the neck. Erasmus was arrested and charged with the murder of his wife. Okay. Okay. So, uh, Erasmus Shue was held in the jail in Lewisburg while waiting for the trial to begin. During this time, more information about his past started coming to light. He had been married twice before. His first marriage ended in a divorce, with his wife accusing him of great cruelty. His second wife died under mysterious circumstances less than a year after they were married. Mm Mm-hmm. Starting to see a trend with this guy. Right. Zona just so happened to be his third wife. And she began to talk of wishing to wed seven women. He freely spoke of this ambition while in jail and told reporters that he was sure he would be let free because there was so little evidence against him. Uh-huh. All right. So the trial began on June 22nd, 1897, and Mary Jane Hester was Preston's star witness. He confined his questioning to the known facts of the case, skirting the entire issue of her ghostly sighting perhaps hoping to provoke her unreliable Erasmus's lawyer questioned Miss Hester extensively about her daughter's visit on cross-examination. The tactic, however, backfired when Mrs. Hester would not waver in her account despite intense badgering. As the defense had introduced the issue the judge found it very difficult to instruct the jury to disregard the story of the ghost, and many people in the community seemed to believe it. Consequently, Shu was found guilty of murder on July 11th and sentenced to life in prison. However, the Greenbrier ghost was never mentioned by the prosecution and played no part in the case against him. A lynch mob was formed to take him from the jail and hang him, 
but the mob was disbanded by the deputy sheriff before any damage was done. Four of the mob's organizers organizers later faced charges for their actions. Mm. And Erase Michu died on March 13, 1900 in West Virginia State Penitentiary in Moundsville, West Virginia, the victim of an unknown epidemic. He was buried in an unmarked grave in a local cemetery. Wow. So a ghost, the ghost of the woman who he murdered, visited her mother as a spirit, and the mother believed it with such conviction that she convinced uh, Mr. Preston to go through and get the body exhumed. So many mistakes were made by other people. Dr. Nate, you know, didn't do a full examination. So he did, you know, I, you, I do find that weird. They, he went from, okay, she died because of quote unquote childbirth to, oh, she has a broken neck. Like, why didn't you think of that before you, why didn't you, why didn't you notice that during the first examination? You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I mean, he he did say that he was not able to perform a thorough examination, right? Yeah, I mean, you got to think she died on the twenty third and was buried immediately the next day, right? Yeah, exactly. Maybe, but and obviously it would be at the behest of the husband because he would be the one making all the final arrangements for his wife to, you know, he would be taking care of that for, her, in a sense. I mean, he took care of it. I mean, he he did, you know, he did what he did. Um, but you got it. I mean, you got to think of the set of, the, of balls that you think you might have, you know, like, yeah, I, you know, it, maybe in his head he's like, yeah, I got away with killing that bitch. Yeah, she ain't going to bother me no more. Right. Oh, so, sir, so you're arrested for the murder. <laughs> He'll be like, wait, what? I, I am murdered. What, what are you talking about? You know, and then the arrogance that he, when, when he told reporters that, you know, he's sure he'll be set free since there's very few little evidence against him, you know. And the fact that, you know, the prosecution was able to make the case without mentioning the Greensbrier ghost, without having that play a part in the case whatsoever against him. Um, and then the fact that this guy, you know, died at uh, Moundsville State Prison, which we will talk about later on in this episode, ladies and gentlemen, um, of an unknown pandemic. Or unknown epidemic. Um, who who knows what that was at the time? I, I don't think it was the influenza yet. I don't think that didn't hit until like the 1920s. Um, it may have been something different. I don't know. Um, but yeah, very, very interesting. You were as you were reading the story, I was very much uh in depth and wanting to hear more in a sense. Um, how how are you feeling about it after reading the story and after after all that? Uh I mean man, first of all. Fuck this guy. Fuck this guy. Uh, secondly, like, just like, her, she came back and told her mother, like, this is how I really died. And her mother, you know, whether this, this lady really came back as a ghost or not, but the mother absolutely 100% believed that she saw her daughter, you know, an apparition of her daughter, uh, and took that to a local prosecutor, convinced him of what she had seen, and was able to convict 
this man of murder. And who right. knows, had that not happened, how many more women would he have killed? Right, exactly. I mean, so. and who's to say that? I mean, I, I mean, obviously, they say that his the, that his second wife died under quote unquote myst- mysterious circumstances less than a year after they were married. So obviously, you know, maybe something happened to her, and maybe he was the reason that something happened to her as well. You know, so you know, I mean, obviously, you know, I mean, karma was definitely a bitch in this situation, and oh, erasement got erased from history in a sense, right? Um. So, you know, um, see that, that little play on words you see erasement never mind <laughs> no i got it I yeah got man it. Um, yeah man one more thing about this that i want to throw out there the no, state of, the state of west virginia has erected a state historical marker near the cemetery in which zona shoe is buried okay and it, and it reads interred in nearby cemetery is zona hester shoe her death in 1897 was presumed natural until her spirit appeared to her mother to describe how she was killed by her husband, Edward. Autopsy on the exhumed body verified the apparition's account. Edward, found guilty of murder, was sentenced to the state prison. It is the only known case in which testimony from a ghost helped to convict a murderer. Wow. Yes crazy crazy insane crazy um you know and, and, and like i said before like i mean in terms of spirits you know like i i believe in angels and demons was there was that apparition the angel manifesting itself as her daughter to tell her this is what happened you know which you know which i mean i mean it's on record you know the, you know the dude you know was in prison and everything like that so i mean it, it's it's you know I mean, but you you also got to think also at the same time. I mean, because they, I mean, because this is you know a story that maybe some people are like. Oh, you know, maybe the facts got changed, you know, along the way, or maybe you know stories and details got changed up or whatever. Um, but even I mean, even still, I mean, guy, the guy still went to prison for murdering his wife. You know, I mean, regardless of whatever you feel like the circumstances were, a ghost or a some type of apparition convinced this woman that her daughter was murdered and you know it it worked you know so you know like we said like what we said earlier fuck this guy you know exactly yeah i and but also and then but you talk about the and then also not not just that i mean that was a very interesting story in itself but then you also have the uh, the spirits of other residents that were there who like to play jokes and be mischievous and stuff like that uh but it being an old civil war hospital it does make sense for there to be other spirits aside from the greensbrier ghost as well 100 percent, right so that being said we're going to move on to the next one this is droop mountain uh battlefield and this is in pocahontas county now droop mountain battlefield has become a memorial uh commemorating west virginia's final significant battle during the civil war on November 6, 1863, uh, Brigadier General um, William Averro, I want to say that's how it's pronounced, and his we'll union, go with it. Yeah, um, union troops staged a crushing victory over Confederates, driving them south into what is now known as Virginia. 
The site became a national park in 1929 as a memorial to those who have lost their lives. Since then, visitors have been reporting of various paranormal activity, including the sounds of galloping horses and sightings of a headless Confederate soldier and another soldier who is taking a nap in against a tree. Damn. Okay. Yeah. So this story not as interesting or in depth as, you know, 22 mine road or the Lewisburg historic district, but let's go a little bit into this though. So, okay. So basically this was a significant battle in the civil war for West Virginia, um, pushing the, pushing the, 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 the Confederates back into uh, Virginia now. Um, and you know, they, they put up the monument to commemorate, you know, the, the fallen soldiers and stuff. The sounds of the galloping horses make sense because, you know, this was, you know, Civil War time. And obviously you ain't, you know, you ain't going to war in a tank or anything like that yet in this point in history. So, I mean, galloping horses make sense. The sighting of the headless Confederate soldier, that one's kind of, you know, like, bless you. That one's kind of like, you know, like, because you, because y'all, you, you, like, as it says, galloping horses, and then it says the sighting of a headless Confederate soldier, but it, but not at the same time. So it ain't like we're getting like a headless horseman kind of deal, you know, with like a headless horseman wearing a Confederate outfit with a saber and all that sort of stuff. And then there's a, the other soldier there just taking a nap against a tree. Like, they're like, oh man, you guys are doing that again, man. I'm going back to sleep, you know. And if you was to see that person napping, you'd be like, hey, you, you okay over there? He's like, man, I'm sleeping. Leave me alone, you know. Right. Um, so how you feel about this one particularly? Uh, kind of funny to be honest, right? You got, you got the guy napping, uh, but you also talk about a, a headless soldier. Is, is this reminiscence of the headless horseman? Maybe, uh, right? Maybe. You know? Um. So, yeah. Other maybe, other maybe need a little more information. Yeah, well, I've actually found um, where it says uh, the Battle of Droop Mountain uh, that took place in Pocahontas County on November 6th. It was during uh, during the American Civil War. Um, it talks about battles, talks about the aftermath. Uh, yeah, I mean, this I mean, it's pretty historical and significant in a sense. Um, it says right here that uh, General uh, Everell had 45 men killed, including those mortally wounded. He also had 93 wounded and two captured. This total of 140 casualties agrees with the National Park Service summary. The original report listed 30 killed as part of the 119 casualties, although some of the more, uh, mortally wounded may not have died at the time of the report. The 10th West Virginia Infantry, uh, followed by the, tw- the 28th Ohio Infantry, had the most casualties. For Confederate soldiers, 33 were dead, 121 wounded, and 122 captured. The 19th Virginia Cavalry and the 22nd Virginia Infantry had the most casualties, totaling 276 casualties, almost matches the count of 275 reported by Echo uh, Eccles, I'm sorry, and used by the National Park Service. Now, a couple of notable of a couple of the notable uh, leaders of the, uh, the of the uh, battle um were let's see for for the for the for the uh for the union there was obviously william avril but there was also uh james shoemaker uh thomas harris uh francis thompson and if you look to the confederate leaders it was uh john echoes 
uh, William Mudwall Jackson and Colonel George S. Patton. So a little bit of a history lesson for you history buffs out there. All right. So, so yeah, that being said though. Um, yeah, I mean, so it, it does make sense that there would be, you know, casualties, obviously people hearing about, um, you know, hearing the phantom, you know, uh, you know, gallopings of the horse and things of that nature. And it says that today the battlefield site is preserved and uh, administered by the by West Virginia as the uh, uh, Droop Mountain Battlefield State Park and is listed on the National Register of Historic Places. The park was uh, de uh, dedicated in 1928 and in West Virginia, the oldest state park. Unknown Confederate unknown Confederate dead from the battle uh, was is unknown Confederates who were, who have died in the battle are actually buried at the Confederate uh, cemetery in Lewisburg, which is also on the national register of historic places. So well, there you go. Pretty interesting. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of it. Anytime we're dealing with history and anytime we're dealing with different, um, you know, moments in history that uh, that's always interesting, especially when they're intertwined with the hauntings of a particular state. I find that very interesting. It's very much, very yes. much so. All right. So that being said, let's move on from that one to the next one. You got it? Yes. We're going to talk about Harper's Ferry, and this is in Jefferson County. Okay. So the town of Harper's Ferry is well known for its ghosts. In fact, some of the hauntings are said to go back hundreds of years. Okay. There are various buildings around the town that have a spooky story or two attached to them, making Harper's Ferry one of the most haunted towns in West Virginia. One of the most popular tales involves a female spirit in 18th century style attire who is often seen looking down at people from the window of Harper House. Interesting. Yes, uh, there are there are often tales of several spirits, including wounded soldiers and an old priest who are said to haunt St. Peter's Catholic Church, which was used as a hospital in the Civil War. We're going to pause right there for a second because, OK, I have a question. OK, why would a priest haunt? A church. Yeah. Why would a priest haunt a church? That's that's still one that 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 that, that one's it's it's just one of those weird uh weird it's one of those weird ones because I mean you would obviously think if a priest died unless unless the preach is there to keep away the evil spirits, you know, I don't under, I don't know why he would be haunting the church. Right. I uh when I read that, I was like, what? Why would... Um, but didn't why? we have one in a couple of other episodes? Wasn't there one a couple of episodes ago where there was a pre another priest was like not haunting the church, but like his spirit was still there to protect it or something? You know which episode I'm talking about? Uh, I, I do vaguely remember that we've talked so much right it's um it's weird um, right so uh we go on to say 
or it goes on to say that the most common experience is for visitors to hear the distant strain of fife and drum music, which is said to be the Phantom Army performing some marching drills. Yeah, uh, the fife and drum, the whole, uh, that boom, 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 boom. Yeah. yeah, that whole thing, yeah. But then again, it could just be somebody... Uh, it could just be somebody, uh, you know, maybe just like, you know, playing music, you know, in the background or whatever, you know, maybe, you know, trying to scare some people up or whatever. But I mean, yeah, if it's, I mean, it's one of those old towns, especially in, in, in the, in the, uh, in the state of West Virginia, where a lot of, you know, where a lot of battles in the civil war took place. So it kind of makes sense that you would hear a fife and drum at some point. Um, right. Now, now the one that, that kind of struck me, um, and when we kind of, I don't, you didn't, you didn't necessarily gloss over, but we hadn't really hit on it yet about the female spirit in the 18th century style attire, looking down out of the window of the Harper house. Right. Um, the, remember we, we had talked about it, I think in the very, like, I think the Alaska episode, uh, about that one, like when you're driving, you see the hotel all lit up and stuff and you see the female spirit waving or whatever. And then you pull up to the hotel and the hotel's abandoned and you're like, wait, this thing was just popping five minutes ago. What, what the hell happened? Yeah, not, to say I, it's a, not saying the same style, but no, 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 no. I, I get you know. where it comes from or I get where you're coming from. Right. Uh, now, I did find an article from the Washington Post. Okay. So take that as you will. And, and this is a, a rather old article. This is from October 29th, 1982. Whew, we're going way back in the day. Yes. So um, the, the article was written by uh, a lady by the name of Patricia Brennan. Okay. Okay. Uh, and it says, ghosts here in our own Potomac River Valley, you bet your broomsticks. Combine your foliage and Halloween getaways this weekend in a trip to Harper's Ferry, a town full of legends from its violent past, and you'll hear about Confederate spies and phantom armies, a freed slave searching for his family, buried gold, a priest who walks through brick walls, a whimpering drummer boy, staircases that tremble. Harper's Ferry, where the Shenandoah and Potomac Rivers meet and Virginia, West Virginia, and Maryland touch, was originally a trading center for trappers. When Robert Harper took up residence there in the late 1700s, he ran a ferry crossing the two rivers, and during the Civil War, an arsenal and armory there served the Union forces, and the town's population boomed because the location was crucial to troop movements. Today, Harper's Ferry and uh, Bolivar, a neighboring village, have very few residents. Live ones, at least, but mm -hmm. live visitors. Uh, the National Park Service maintains the old buildings primarily for their historic value, where Union rifles and muskets were made, where battles were fought, where uh, abolitionist John Brown raided the arsenal, the ghosts. Now Harper's Ferry's pa Harper's Ferry's past has given it plenty. Surely 
Daughtry, who runs the Iron Horse Inn restaurant across from the railroad station, offers ghost tours at the park service or as the park service used to, and you can sign up for them. Or with her book available at the National Park Service bookstore at the corner of Shenandoah and High Street, you can run your own tour. Now that's interesting. That is very interesting. Uh, Anybody who wants to conduct their own, yeah, investigations or whatever. Yeah. Uh, now Daltrey's book of local lore and legend, entitled "A Ghostly Tour of Harper's Ferry," sells for three dollars and fifty cents at the Little Brown House bookstore. Now, now, mind you, this was in nineteen eighty-two, so I'm sure right. that that three dollars and fifty cents has gone up. Right, exactly. Uh, so um, here's a, a, a sampling of the book. Okay, uh, it goes: the house of the superintendent of the armory was where the Iron Horse Inn is now, near the railroad tracks crossing from West Virginia to Maryland. The building alternately housed Confederate and Union troops, and was auctioned by the government after the war. Residents have reported that the stairs periodically shake violently, a reminder of the violent death of a Confederate spy shot point-blank as he unknowingly ran up them into Union officer quarters. Damn. Walk up the stairs near the Iron House Inn to High Street and turn left in that building known as the Townhouse. People say that they hear a little boy crying as if for his mother. He's said to be a Confederate drummer boy kept by the Union soldiers to wash their clothes, clean their guns, and shine their shoes. One night, being tossed from one drunken soldier to another, he fell out the window to his death. Right. Holy shit. Yeah. Uh, so, during John Brown's raid town people would fire anything they could find from their powder-loaded guns, including six-inch spikes. One of those spikes hit the throat of Dangerfield Newby, a former slave who was trying to earn enough money to buy the freedom of his wife and seven children. Incest by Brown's raid, the town folk mutilated Newby's body and left it for the swine in Hog Alley between the High and, and Potomac Streets. Since wow. then, yeah. Since then, visitors have reported seeing a man wearing baggy trousers and an old slouch hat with a scar across his throat. Dangerfield Newby still is trying to free his family. Wow. Yeah. Did you get like a like a Django kind of vibe with that story? I, I, I did. Yeah. Um, so it goes on to say that after the armory was built, the Union forces no longer needed the storage shacks they'd built near the railroad tracks, so the poor moved into them, heating them with kerosene lamps. One night, a woman came running down the railroad ties, screaming for help. Her dress was on fire. She was hit by the night train and killed instantly. Damn! And, and for years afterwards, engineers coming through the tunnel on the Maryland side of the bridge 
said they would see a ball of fire coming down the tracks and then hear a thud under the train. And they called What? Her, yeah. They named her Screaming Jenny. Whoa. So, yeah. Screaming Jenny. Screaming Jenny. Uh, wow. It, it, it does go on to say more, uh, but in... Um, In, in in thoughts of time, uh, we'll move on so we don't run too long. Um, right. But I, I will link the article to this in the, the description uh, for anybody who may want to go and read more about it uh, and read more of these ghost stories that Absolutely. are listed. Yes, we, we, we will definitely link up... Um the uh i'll definitely put the uh the uh article in the show notes today ladies and gentlemen uh but the next thing that we're going to move on to now is we're going to go to morgantown west virginia now i say that specifically for a couple of reasons one morgantown stands on the site of a famous deck of the famous decker's creek massacre which occurred back in 1759 a total of eight settlers were brutally slaughtered by Delaware Indians in approximately the same, in the approximate center of what is now known of the city of Morgantown and the home of West Virginia University, home of the Mountaineers. With so much blood stained on the land, it is no surprise that there are literally spirits wandering the streets of Morgantown and the university in particular. And it seems the university um, has, you know, it's pl plenty of paranormal activity in many of the buildings reported in the uh, buildings that have been reported. The most famous of the campus ghosts is probably the spirit of Elizabeth Moore, who was the original founder of the Institute from which the university grew. Now I did find an article uh, and this is from uh, WBOY uh, Channel 12 from um, Morgantown, uh, West Virginia. And it talks, they, they were talking to Par Paranormal West Virginia's article and it talks about the Elizabeth Moore Hall and the Mountain Lear Ghosts. Now, it says West Virginia University is home to several students year-round um, but did you know it already had that it uh, also holds several ghosts in some of the same hallways on the second floor of the mountain lair? The spirit of a little girl named Sally can be spotted dancing in the hall. She also has been seen on the second floor of Stewart Hall. Then across the street, the ghost of Elizabeth Moore herself can be found protecting females inside the building with her name E. Moore Hall. Now, Elizabeth Moore is said to haunt her building more than any other building. There are stories that people, there are stories that people tell seeing the ghost of Elizabeth Moore throughout the building. Some have seen her walking the halls or the steps, then the spirit slowly disappears into, the, into nothingness. However, the unique thing about the ghost of Elizabeth is that she only appears to women. It huh, is that's said, interesting. Yeah. It is said that she will appear to men but only if a woman is accompanying them. So if you're a guy, you ain't got to worry about this ghost messing with you. However, 
One story tells of Mrs. Moore appearing in a swimming pool. Two students, one male and one female, were swimming in the pool located in the basement of E. Moore Hall. These students reported having seen Mrs. Moore's spirit floating on top of the pool next to them. When you put this into context of Mrs. Moore's time, a young woman or a young lady would not be on a date with a young man without a chaperone. They could have stayed and swam around the pool all they wanted to, but Mrs. Moore was not going to leave because she, in fact, was their chaperone. And that is uh, according to West Virginia storyteller Jason uh, Burns. Another story behind the ghost talks about the photograph of her inside the building. Now, when you first walk into Emore Hall, a photograph of her is hanging on the left wall of the doorway. It is told back in the mid-70s, mid to late 70s, people wanted to replace her portrait with someone who was working in the building at the time. However, the story tells that one of her portraits was replaced. The next morning, her portrait was back on the wall where it was before. The portrait of the person who they were replacing her was on the ground. Rumors spread that it was Elizabeth because she was angry that they were trying to remove her picture. The, the, the faculty then moved her portrait and replaced it with the same one again, only to find the same thing happen. Since that morning, her portrait remains in the exact same spot it's always been, and nobody has made an attempt to try to move it again. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, don't mess with this. Well, this is her. This is this is my building. Damn it, they gonna know. I they gonna know. I I rep this thing. But but here here's another one. Here's another one. And, I, and I'm gonna kind of I'm gonna, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go faster so you don't get any uh, information. But I am gonna tell you this. Now we talked a little bit of girl a little bit about the about the little girl Sally who was in the mountain lair in Stewart Hall. Now Sally is said to be the ghost of a young lady wearing a yellow dress and yellow bows in her hair. She has been spotted dancing on the second floor of the mountain lair and in Stewart Hall. After research, uh, researcher Jason Burns came up with a theory about Sally. Burns said that he and a friend found out that there is a cemetery in the same location that Stewart Hall sits. Or there was a cemetery in the same location that Stewart Hall now sits. He found a list of names of everybody that was buried in the cemetery. Sally, who was an eight-year-old girl, was the only child that was on that list. His research also shows that the building known as Reynolds Hall stood in the same place as the mountain layer that where the mountain layer is now. Reynolds Hall was originally a commer a, a, a commencement building. According to Burns theory, Sally was probably attending a party inside the hall of the of a university event. A typhoid epidemic hit Morgantown around the same time, and that is when Sally passed away. This epidemic mostly killed young children and the elderly. In theory, Sally attended a party inside the hall and passed away shortly thereafter. She was then buried in the cemetery where Stewart Hall now is, which is why her ghost can be spotted inside the mountain lair and inside Stewart Hall. Now, in Jason Burns' personal experience with Sally, he explains that she is that she haunts him when his office was located on the second floor of Mountain Lair. Okay, so this is a guy who 
actually experienced this spirit, you know, firsthand, right? Okay. Nobody knew. Okay, was, oh, let me let me let me. Let me I, I skipped a paragraph. Excuse me. Burns had a pair of scissors with yellow handles that one day disappeared. He searched his entire office and even asked everybody else on the floor if anyone had taken his scissors. Nobody knew what happened to his scissors. However, when Burns returned to his office, the scissors were sitting on his desk. He immediately knew it had to be Sally. So he then went out and bought a pair of yellow scissors to put and kept him and kept on and kept it on his desk. Don't touch these. They're Sally's is what he told a co-worker. Although Burns is no longer in the same office, he did pass Sally's scissors down to the next person who, who moved into the office. He told the lady who moved into the old office to keep the yellow scissors on her desk at all times or Sally will start pranking her. Huh. Yeah. So you have an, a playful eight-year-old spirit who apparently likes scissors. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm sorry. Dead, alive, I'm not giving an eight-year-old scissors. I mean... <laughs> Nope. That's not, not a, that's not a that's not a good thing to do. Not not that I'm saying that an eight year old would hurt you, but I am saying that an eight year old with a pair of scissors could hurt themselves or you know, accidents happen. You know what I mean? So I mean you know an eight year old could hurt you with those scissors. Too. Right. Exactly. 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 No, but out of these ghost stories, man, I feel like the I mean, obviously the one Sally is, is an interesting one, but the one about Elizabeth, uh, the one about Elizabeth Moore, who said, "This is my university, this is my hall." Take my picture down one more time, please. Take my picture down one more time. See what I do to you. You know what right. I mean? It was almost like you ain't putting, you ain't taking my picture down, bitch. Like you know what I mean? Like you know, even as a ghost, she's gangster. You know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So you ain't lying. I admire that. I really do. All right, that being said, though, let's move away from the Haunted University and let's move on to the next one. You got it, Bubba? Yes. Uh, next up, we're going to talk about the Blennon Hassett Hotel. Okay. Hopefully, I'm saying that right. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, is, you are. Yeah. And this is in Parkersburg, West Virginia. Uh, so, the Queen Anne-style building is reportedly haunted by William Chancellor who was responsible for building the property in the late 1800s. Guests uh, guests staying at the hotel have claimed to encounter the ghosts of children playing in the hallways, and others say that they have seen a man dressed in a tuxedo in the mirrors. Like a butler or something? (laughs) Maybe. Um... So, staff at the hotel also say that mysterious knocking and other unexplained sounds are fairly commonplace. The next sentence I'm going to read is going to be a red flag to you, and I know it. The hotel even offers ghost tours as part of their haunted Parkersburg package deal. Yep. Ding, 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 ding. That's, mm mm-mm. That's one of those, man. You 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 you, you kind of like that's the thing. I'm not saying that the place isn't haunted, but I am saying when you provide ghost tours, it kind of makes me think there are, there is a level of embellishment. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and there's um, a link uh, next to it if you wanted to check that one out. Well, I was going to say, um, one of the ghosts associated with the Blenheim Hossett is none other than William N. Chancellor himself. 
He was the person behind the hotel's erection. Pause. (laughs) Guests and staff have reported that seeing a smoke circle coming from the portrait of Mr. Chancellor. Hmm. Others have also reported smelling cigar smoke around the same portrait. And Mr. Chancellor was a well-known avid cigar smoker and always had one in his hand anytime he was in public. I got a good idea what killed him. Uh, so while the <laughs> hotel was undergoing extensive renovations, the portrait of Mr. Chancellor was taken down. This apparently was the catalyst for a lot of strange occurrences. You're going to love this. One night, as a a guest was climbing into their bed, he felt something weighing the bed down. He looks over and he sees the figure of an older gentleman who then turns to him and says, I was here first. (laughs) You sure the fuck was? I'm getting the fuck out. What? What? <laughs> what? <laughs> you know what? You can have it. You can have the bed. You can have this whole room. You can have this whole hotel. I'm done. I'm out. Bye. See you. Peace. I'm out. I, yeah. If I, you lay in bed and then you just feel the weight of something and then you turn and you look, you see this old man looking at you like, I was here first. I'm like, yeah, you were. Bye. I'm you gone. Were first. You were here first and you were also here last because... <laughs> I'm not going to be here no more. Hell no. Hell no. Uh, What the fuck? Bro, I don't know. (coughs) Excuse Uh, me. So apparently when Mr. Chancellor's portrait was returned after all the renovations and everything, he no longer disturbed guests. Could the old man be the Mr. Chancellor? Could that be him? It seems very much that everything is pointing towards that. Yes. Yeah. Like, I was in the picture, but they took the picture down. So now I'm in the bed. You know, I was here first. Fuck out of here. (laughs) Oh, Lord. Um, So elevators have been reported not to open on the right floor. It would almost always open on the second floor, even when nobody pushed that button. Several people who have come to the second floor have claimed seeing a gentleman dressed in black, walking down the hall. Hmm. Could that gentleman be Mr. Chancellor? Could be Mr. Chancellor, or it could be, um, like, what are they called? Uh, somebody that shows you to your room, like at these expensive hotels. Um, yeah, the, um, bellhop. Bellhops or, uh, concierge or whatever they're called now. Yeah. Uh, so it could be that. And, uh, so then it also says that the hotel's library was once the first national bank of Parkersburg. And it is said that a truck once missed a turn and drove straight into the bank doorway, hitting a woman. Yeah. Hitting a woman and killing her instantly. Today. sucks. uh, Yeah. I mean. Talk about wrong place at the wrong time. Right. Um, However, today, books on the library shelves will fly off by themselves. Wow. The Red Room is a room in which no one wants to enter alone. 
often given the feeling of dread and being watched, the doors of the room just open and close by themselves and then get stuck. Nope. <laughs> no, I, I, I've heard stories about the Red Room. Mm-mm. mm nope. nah. Nope. I know uh, what that Red Room is. That's where they make snuff films. Fuck that shit. I ain't going nowhere near the Red Room. <laughs> right. Uh, so, ghostly children have also been heard playing in the guest rooms on many occasions. Damn so, ghost kids. Yep. Yeah. I mean, that that's crazy to me. I mean... Yeah, I mean, no one, no one enters the red room. You're damn right, no one enters the red room. That's a, you know, in the world of you know evil, in the world of you know, I guess you could say like horror, you know, psychological horror. You know, nowadays when they talk about the red room, they talk about it's a place where people you know commit violent acts. And if you ever seen the movie Hostel, you know what I'm talking about. Um, but dude, I still I still can't get over the damn. Do- I was here, for shit. <laughs> I'm a worried though. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm worried I'm gonna get in my bed tonight. <laughs> I hear I feel big like Amy, is that you? I was here first. Um where's my wife? <laughs> oh, she's in the bathroom. I'm I'm joining her. Let me let, let me get my kids and you can have the house. Fuck it. <laughs> right. Yeah. No. <laughs> I was here first. Yep, you were. And, yep. <laughs> and you gonna be here last because I'm Hell gonna fuck yeah. home. Right, hell yeah, you are. But anyway, <laughs> but yeah, man. So how are you feeling? <laughs> man, I was here first. That's all I got to say. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Get that put on a shirt, bro. Perfect. <laughs> the picture just be a bed. Be the face of an old man and then the face of a scared person and you'd be like I was here first and on the back have the hauntings of logo whatever right that'd be pretty that'd be inter- that'd be entertaining I'm, I'm gonna work on it later that being said though <laughs> pretty funny that being said though we're gonna move on to the very next one and this is one that I have been wanting to talk about ever since we started this particular series of the hauntings of in fact this was one of the first ones that I wrote down when we originally were going to do just a one episode uh, thing about, you know, the hauntings of, you know, different places or whatever, most haunted places or whatever we were going to call that episode. Right. But this is, this is Moundsville or West Virginia State Prison. And this is in Moundsville, West Virginia. Long before the beauty and historical state of West Virginia joined the Union in on June 20th of 1863, it was part of the state of West Virginia. The desire for change and independence led to West Virginia seceding from its excuse me, seceding from its mother state while the Civil War was still taking place. The new state located in the Appalachian region lacked many of the facilities and industries and in, in, in institutions it had previously when it shared uh, that it shared with Virginia prior to its secession. One of the uh, institutions that the new governor of West Virginia, Arthur Borman, petitioned to have was a new state penitentiary. Despite his countless requests, 
Borman was repeatedly told to use the existing jails or institutions in the other states. Eventually, the West Virginia legislation uh, could no longer deny the need for its own prison system. This led to the building of the West Virginia Penitentiary, one of the most haunted places in West Virginia and one of the most haunted prisons in the in the entire United States. Interesting. Now, now, brief history. The West Virginia Penitentiary, also known as Moundsville State Prison, came about thanks to the efforts of Arthur Borman. He devoted the years from 1863 to 1866 doing his best to convince the West Virginia legislation that the, the young state needed a penitentiary of its own to house the criminals of West Virginia. His attempts proved futile until finally, with the help of the local press in 1865, the legislation, uh, the legis yeah, the legislation decided that it was better to have a state facility other than risk the escape of more inmates. With approval given, the state was allowed to purchase a plot of land which would house the new state penitentiary. The decision was made to purchase 10 acres of land in an area of, um, of the state, and they called it Moundsville, the state capital of the state at the time. Okay, or the capital city of the state of West Virginia at the time. Wheeling was a mere 12 miles from the site of the new prison. Prior to starting construction of the new prison, a wooden prison was built temporarily. This afforded the officials in charge of the prison construction to determine how it would be designed. Although no blueprints for the West Virginia Penitentiary have ever been located, the inspiration for the new prison appears to be a, um, a, a Gillette Penitentiary in northern uh, Illinois. The key difference is that West Virginia prison was built on a much grander scale than the Gillette prison. Now, it took roughly 10 years for the design of the penitentiary to officially open uh, to, to officially open its doors in 1876. It was, however, established in 1866. The Gothic-style prison was built with a local, with locally quarried uh, hand-cut sandstone during part of the construction process prison labor was used to help ex expedite the process when the west virginia penitentiary was completed it had a north and south cell block 224 prison cells measuring seven feet by five feet and they were located in the south hall the chapel hospital kitchen and dining areas were all located in the north hall the area that connected the two cell blocks was a four stories in height. It housed female inmates, the administration building, as well as living quarters for the prison warden and his family. Now we're getting into some of the gruesome shit. Throughout its more than 100 years of operation, the West Virginia Penitentiary was home to 93 executions, 9 by electrocution, and 83 by hanging. Those 93 deaths were all legally sanctioned. Hundreds of other inmates living within the walls of the penitentiary had their day with fate. People not legally executed died after they were murdered when they, wait, let me read that again because that didn't come off right. People not legally executed died after they were, after they were murdered, when they committed suicide, or at the hands of the incredibly violent or hands of other criminal, uh, crim, 
illegal and incredibly violent punishments that they were subject to by members of the prison staff. So, okay. Some of the barbaric punishments were exposure to exposed to the public in 1886. The source of the violence and torture was a former superintendent of the institution. Prisoners were subject to being restrained in compromising positions such as the quote-unquote kicking Jenny and the shoe fly, okay? Now, the kicking Jenny involved the restraining of the prisoner while completely naked, bending over a machine, and restraining them prior to whipping them near death. The shoe fly included restraining the prisoner and spraying them directly in the face with a water hose, okay, until they were literally an inch to death. Oh, wow. Yeah. So very, very violent, you know, the, 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 uh, it, it, the, 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 the people who are in charge of taking care of the prisoners are the ones who are doing the most damage to the prisoners. Now, the West Virginia Penitentiary was also the site of a prison break and a riot. In 1979, a group of 15 prisoners managed to escape the prison. While fleeing the prison, West Virginia State Trooper Philip S. Uh, Kesner noticed the escaped convicts while driving past the area with his wife. Although he attempted to thwart their escape, he was killed by one of the escapees, a murderer by the name of Robert, L. Will Robert T. Williams. Williams maintained on the run for 18 months prior to his capture. In 1986, conditions in the prison had hit an incredible low. The prison was suffering from severe overcrowding, yet again, there were countless problems with plumbing, inmates roaming free due to the poor security, and locks being picked, as well as a lot of illness due to the infestation of bugs. Fed up with the poor conditions and the inhumane conditions, the Avengers which is a group of 20 in inmates, began a riot in the mess hall. Captain Glassock, um, a kitchen staffer, and five officers were captured, handcuffed, and held hostage. Fortunately, the two-day riot ended with a few hostages injured, but not mortally wounded, while three inmates died. Until the day the penitentiary officially closed its doors, it would see multiple escape attempts and multiple riots. Now, that's just the history of how insane and violent and just horrible that this prison was. We ain't even got to the hauntings yet. You ready for this? Let's do it. The hauntings of West Virginia Penitentiary. Now, the West Virginia Penitentiary housed prisoners until 1995. Claims that the penitentiary was haunted began back in the early 1930s, though, and have not stopped since. According to local legend, the site of the penitentiary was what's at one time, you ready for this? A sacred Native American burial ground. Oh, shit. There we go. Now, there are those that believe that, that the cursed land played a huge role in the tremendous amount of paranormal activity that occurred at the location. Despite the land being blessed, there were those who feel that it was a curse, and that curse lingered, leading many to believe that it's one of, if not the, most haunted prison in the United States of America. 
With such a violent history and so many violent criminals in West Virginia Penitentiary, there is no wonder many consider the prison one of the most haunted. There are those that have been to the prison that state multiple locations throughout the prison have a large amount of paranormal activity or hotspots. Some of the locations that receive the most activity include Death Row, the Chapel, the Wreck Area, and the Shower Cages. Oh, wow. The location Now, the location of the electric chair, also known as Old Sparky. Yes, they actually called it Old Sparky. And also, the North Wagon Gate, the area in which the inmates were put to death via hanging, is also known for its ghostly activity. The circular entrance gate that was used to admit new prisoners is reportedly said to turn on and off it's, I'm sorry, it turned turn on its own when no one is inside. In all the years that people have stated that they have experienced either odd activity or ghostly sightings, one ghost is reported by many, and he is simply known as the Shadow Man. Okay? Now, the Shadow Man is said to roam around the entirety of the prison. He appears as more or less a silhouette as he makes his way around the around the place. Okay. Other people have made claims that they have seen the ghosts of former inmates as well as former prison guards. Their apparel is typically the keys to the key to identifying the role that they played in the penitentiary when the penitentiary was open. Now, one location in particular in the penitentiary with a surprising amount of activity is what the prisoners and, and, and officers called the sugar shack. Okay. Okay. With such a sweet name, one would not expect paranormal activity, but in reality, if you are visiting this haunted prison, you will be re remiss. If you forget to visit where the inmates enjoyed their wreck time, when they were not allowed to go outside it is said that it is qu quite common to hear people talking and even arguing when you are in this area of the basement. Other people have stated that they have heard people off in a different area of the basement whispering. Of course, there are countless cold spots and bizarre noises heard when people are in the basement as well. Back in the 1930s, when the, when, the, when the first reports of the hauntings in the prison started, they came from assorted guards on duty. According to the reports, guards were the guards that were on duty at night made claims that they saw inmates walking freely on the ground so alarms would be sounded. Once the alarms were off, the areas were properly searched and no one was ever found. No inmate was found wandering outside of their, outside of their uh, uh, cells, anything. This repeated false sighting of inmates walking around the grounds freely led to the West Virginia Penitentiary gaining a reputation for being haunted. Of the hundreds of people that died in this prison, many spirits remain bound to this jail. Red Snyder was murdered in the prison and still appears wandering the halls. A man that worked on the haunted house... A man, I'm sorry, let me start over. A man that worked on a haunted house in the prison claimed that while he was walking around with his tools, someone not living grabbed his arm. No, the, man, no. the man maintained when questioned that nobody else was near him during this event. 
Today, it is possible to take tours of the most haunted prison in America, in West Virginia. It is also possible to stay overnight in different areas of the prison if you choose to. But a lot of people go against it, considering that they believe with all their heart that this is the most haunted place, not only in not only in the state of West Virginia, but in the entire United States. So after we talked about this for a while, how are you feeling about it? Uh, first of all, if I'm walking and somebody reaches out and grabs me and ain't nobody else there, I'm done. Like, right. I, I don't care what work <laughs> I'm supposed to be doing or, or whatnot. I, I'm, I'm going to the house. <laughs> right to the and you probably, house and you're probably not coming back to the prison nope nope yeah <laughs> miss me with that sir <laughs> yeah you're gonna have to miss me quick too right um but other than that i mean I, I, it's interesting i like the uh the uh the history there that we were given um i i do have a, a, a it did have a red flag pop um uh, at one point when you you said that that you know they offer tours of I, I just we've talked about it several 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 times uh and that anytime that you, you know you're kind of offering these things like it, it almost feels i'm not saying that none of it happened or, or that the ghosts aren't real or anything like that, uh, e- even though I am, you know, very skeptical. Uh, right. But you've came, a, you've came a long way from being a true non-believer to more of a skeptic than you were in previous uh, conversations. Right. Um, but it always throws that red flag, like how much embellishment is given when you're starting to offer tours and stuff. So now you're making money off right. of something. So you have to kind of provide some sort of paranormal activity or people aren't going to come back. Right. Or even those who want to come for the history, you know, because there are many of those people out there who are history buffs who, you know, or maybe you're a fan of, you know, I don't know anybody who's a fan of the prison system, but maybe you're a fan of like older, you know, buildings or, you know, stuff like that. Um, So very possible. I do. But but this is one of those that it's one of it. it, Not only is it considered like one of the most haunted, um, but it's also one of the most famous um, from the standpoint that it was it's been featured in so many different you know, so many different movies and TV shows and things of that nature. Um, you know, and, right. and again, wasn't this the prison that was in the green mile? Is, is that right or no? Uh, I, uh, I'm looking, it's by what I'm looking here. It was based more on the Shawshank redemption. Okay. It was more, it was more along, it was more along those lines of the Shawshank redemption. Um, but it was also featured on the, in the Travel Channel series, uh, the most terrifying places on earth. It was actually. Do you remember the the MTV show Fear? I do. Where they took kids, these teenagers or young adults, and they would go to these different 
haunted places around the country. And it was actually the very first episode of the MTV show Fear where this particular prison was, uh, was you know, they, they explored this particular one. Um, now, it, it was also, it also appeared um, in video games as well. Uh, the prison appeared in the, in the 2018 video game Fallout 76, where it was known as Eastern Regional Penitentiary. But also, and, it, and it's something that, it has it's not on this particular one um but do you remember back in the day when you uh when you could get the PlayStation magazine and it always come with that demo disc oh yeah well i remember watching one and it was i can't remember what what issue it was and whatever it was escapes me but they were talking about a video game called the suffering now the suffering for those of you who don't know is a first person and third-person shooter, because it was really the first one that kind of combined the two together. Well, there was others that did it beforehand, but this one was mainly first-person, third-person, and it was a horror video game. Now okay. I'm not going to go. Now I'm not going. I'm not going to tell you the whole entire story. I don't think we had that much time. But the suffering centers around a um, a man by the name of Torque, not that Torque, but another <laughs> man named Torque. Shout out to you, Jeremy. Um, now. The prisoner is on death row for murdering his ex-wife and two children, a crime that he has completely no memory of com- of uh, committing. Shortly after he arrives at Abbott State Penitentiary on uh, Kamate Island, off the coast of Maryland, an earthquake hits the island, resulting in the prison being attacked by unusual supernatural threats. Okay. After being freed... Torque attempts to fight his way to freedom while confronting his own personal demons, all while attempting to remember what happened to his family. Now, this game is interesting because it's one of those games where you ever read one of those books? It's like a choose your own adventure type books. Yeah. Where, yes, where, where like, okay, if you, want, if, if you want to, if you want to find out what happens, go to this page, or if you don't want to find out what happened, go to this page, you know, or something, whatever like that. This game features three different endings, which depending on how you play the game and the choices you make throughout the game, each of which reveal a different version of the murder of your family. So that that in and of itself, but yeah, but the Mounds, but uh, Moundsville State Prison, West Virginia, West Virginia State Penitentiary, whatever, was one of the big influences for this particular uh, video game. Um, now they did have a sequel to it um, called uh, "The Suffering uh, Tides That Buy," and it's a continuation of Torque's story: a man sentenced to death for murdering his ex-wife and two children. And in the original game, after arriving at death row, blah 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 blah, during the mayhem, you escape. Now, I I have not played this game, so I can't exactly tell you what happens. Because I never played Tides That Bind. I'm going to assume, though, that it is a continuation of one of the three stories. But to find out which one it is, you would have to figure out all three of the scenarios before you jump to that game. So you could figure out, okay, which story are we continuing? You see what I'm saying? Right. But if anybody who out there, I mean, it was for the um, 
it was for the uh, the PlayStation Two and the and the original Xbox because it, the it, the game was back in two thousand and five. Um, but I'm pretty sure that you can find game footage online on YouTube or you know whatever uh, streaming service you want. To, not streaming service, obviously, but I'm sure you can go to your YouTube's or Vimos or whatever, and you can find uh, gameplay of this game. You know, so even if you don't have a PS Two or old school Xbox and you want to find out what happened, if you're interested in it. Go check it out. The first game is actually pretty fun. Like I said, I haven't seen or played Ties That Bind, so I don't know. But yeah, but this prison was definitely the influence for that video game. And a lot of it, you know, you can kind of tell, like, you know, because it's bordering on the on the insanity, but also bordering, bordering on the lines of, like, wow, if that really happened. You know, and it puts you in a situation where you're making the decision as to if this man truly committed it committed the crimes that he said that they commit. You see what I'm saying? So, right. But that's a little, uh, that, but that's for another time, obviously. Um, but yeah, let's go ahead and let's continue this. Let's move on to the very last one of the evening. You got it, Bubba? I do. We're going to talk about the trans lunatic asylum in Weston, West Virginia. We got, so, we finally got the lunatic asylum. Here we go. Yep. <laughs> um, the Gothic stone structure that is Trans-Legendy Lunatic Asylum is somewhat infamous in the paranormal community. Even looking at it from the outside, you would probably assume that it is haunted just based on how it looks. And with the picture provided, I can say, yes, I would, if I walked by this, I'd be like, yep, that's fucking haunted. Um, uh, the building certainly lives up to expectations. This is without a doubt one of the most haunted places in the state. So, um, construction on the asylum began in 1858, and originally it was built to only house 250 patients. Keep that in mind. Only 250 patients. 250 okay. patients. However, the facility reached its peak of around 2,400 patients in the 1950s, at which time they were terribly overcrowded and living in extremely poor conditions. So it was only built for 250, but they somehow squeezed 2,400 in this? Yeah, that, that makes, the math on that's bothering me a lot, you know. Um, and that was like, I was watching an episode of Beyond Scared Straight, um, because it's on Hulu now. Um, mm -hmm. And they were, they, the, the one guy was like, he was talking to one of the prisoners and he was like, how many people, how many, how many beds are in your room? Two. Aside from you, how many people are in your room? Three. How many people will fit in this jail? One more. Yeah. There's always room for one more. That's but, it. Yeah, there you go. So anyway, go ahead and continue. Yeah, and it, it kind of sucks that it is that way. I mean, yes, I understand people need to go to jail, but overcrowding and overpopulation is not the way to do it. Yeah, but I also think that a lot of people that are in jail, you know, like, here's the thing. If somebody kills somebody, throw them in jail. If somebody rapes somebody, throw them in jail. Somebody hurts a kid, fuck yeah, throw them in jail, put them under the jail, you know, whatever. You know, like, I mean, yeah, there, there, I, there's levels, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I think if you get busted with an ounce of weed, I mean, you know what I mean? 
that's kind of I'm on the fence about that one. Like, eh, you're not hurting anybody, you know, you're not trying to sell See. it or, you know, like I just feel like especially with the new laws and everything and, you know, it being more socially acceptable now, you know, and the fact that like, man, you know, like marijuana is, you know, legal in the state of California, but this guy back in the seventies got busted with an ounce and now he's spending, you know, 50 years in prison because he wanted to get high. Like, you know, I know, I know that's a weird subject to get off on. I just, you know, no, see, I'm, I'm not on the fence about it at all. Uh, I think, that nobody should be in jail for uh, possession or use of marijuana. Right. Uh, and I think, and I know we're talking about haunted places, but I, I, I'll, I'll digress in just a second. Um, I, I think it's absolutely insane and, and stupid that there are people that are sitting in prison for life for the possession of marijuana yet there are murderers that are out on the street free and clear today right um, it, it, that it is bullshit the fact that you know like you can get away with i mean literally i mean what what's the the minimum i think in i think in new york they say the minimum for murder is 15 years and that's if someone speaks up on your behalf or whatever but I mean, maximum it's 25 to life, no possibility for parole, you know, but then some, you know, sometimes I guess it just depends on, you know, oh, well, this is, you know, like, I mean, I mean, first and foremost, I don't see how like somebody, like two people can commit the same crime. One person goes to jail for the rest of their life. The other person uh, gets, 50, you know, 500 hours community service and has to go to rehab. Like where the fuck, you know what I mean? Like that, that shit's totally not right, but. Yeah, we're, we're, that's a different yeah, that's, that's a different discussion because that's going to lead into something way deep, and we have to re-record this episode. Right. But anyway, yeah. But let's continue. I'm sorry. Uh, I, I mean, I didn't mean for us to go on that little. No, uh, no, thing no. There. That's that's a discussion for another time, and probably we, another platform. <laughs> uh, maybe. maybe. Um, so anyway, uh, the the trans. Uh, Transalegny Lunatic Asylum closed down in 1994 and, however, reopened as a tourist location. And it is now considered one of the most haunted locations in West Virginia, with visitors reporting all manner of unexplained activity, including, <coughs> excuse me, uh, including horrific screams, shadow figures, and slamming doors. Hmm. Uh, now it doesn't say that it gives like haunted, like 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 like. Let's not they, they don't consider it like a haunted attraction. Or anything. They just say, oh, you know, well, tourists, you know, can go and see it if they choose to or whatever. It's not like they're promoting like haunted places or whatever. Right. Um. So. Uh, I I did look this up on Wikipedia and, um, just a little bit of. About it. Uh, it. It was originally designed to hold 250 people, as we said. It became overcrowded in the 50s with 2,400 people. It was forcibly closed in 94 due to changes in patient treatment. 
in 2007, it was bought by a gentleman by the name of Joe Jordan and is open for tours and other events to raise money for its restoration. The hospital's okay. main building is claimed to be one of the largest hand-cut stone masonry buildings in the United States and the second largest hand-cut stone building in the world. The only one that's bigger is the Kremlin in Moscow. Wow. Yes. Crazy. Um, so it doesn't say much about the hauntings. Uh, it just gives a little bit of history. Um, in the, the 19th century, it, it talks a little bit about uh, the first patients were admitted in 1864, but construction on the building continued until 1881. The 200-foot central clock tower was completed in 1871, and separate rooms for black people uh, were completed in 1873. The hospital was intended to be self-sufficient. It had a farm, a dairy, uh, a waterworks, cemetery, were all located on the grounds, which ultimately reached, oh, here we go, 666 acres. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Very, very, um, yeah, um. Yeah, that 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 number is not necessarily synonymous with anything good. Nope. Um, no. So in the 20th century, a gas well was drilled on the hospital grounds, and they changed the name to Weston State Hospital. Um, by the 1880s, uh, it had increased from 250 patients to. 717 patients that was the first reported uh overpopulation there uh it had 1661 patients in 1938 1800 in 1949 and at its peak 2600 wow so, uh it uh it housed epileptics, alcoholics, drug addicts, and non-educatable mental defectives. I don't know what that means. Uh, me, me, me neither. Uh, sounds derogatory. Yeah, uh, it does. It very, it very much does. Yeah. So, uh, in in it's the fifties, go ahead. I was gonna say in the fifties, it uh, became the home for the West Virginia lobotomy project. We all know how lobotomies worked out back in the day. I mean, they actually called it that? The West Virginia Lobotomy Project? Yes. That, um, okay. Yes. Sure. That's that's what it says. Yeah, man. Yeah, it says that it was an effort by the state of West Virginia and Walter Freeman to use lobotomy to reduce the number of patients in asylums because there was severe overcrowding. Yeah, so take part of their brain out. Sure, why not? <laughs> um, it's insane. Uh, 
So in the 21st century, three small museums devoted to military history, toys, and mental health were opened on the first floor of the main hospital in 2004, but were soon forced to close due to fire code violations. Ah. Uh, and then it says that the hospital was auctioned by the West Virginia Department of Health and Human Resources in 2007, where Joe Jordan and a asbestos demolition construction worker from Morgantown was the highest bidder and paid $1.5 million for Damn. the building. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the main building of the asylum known as the Kirkbride holds several rooms that serve as the museum located on the first floor. There are paintings, poems, and drawings made by the patients in the art therapy program a room dedicated to the different medical treatments and restraints used in the past and artifacts such as straight jackets and hydrotherapy tub. The tour guides dress in clothes that resemble the 19th century nurses outfits, which was a uh, blue dress, white apron, white cap and white shoes. The shorter historical tour offer allows visitors to see the first floor of the Kirkbride, while the longer historical tour allows visitors to see all four floors, apartments for the staff, the morgue, the operating room. And aside from the historical tours, there are also two paranormal tours. Both start as the sun sets. The shorter one lasts around two to three hours, the longer tour being an overnight tour with the option of having a private tour. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah <laughs> i actually so, found their website actually mm-hmm. yeah, yeah um they, yeah. Yeah, they have a website where you can go on the uh, the heritage tour or you can do a ghost tour um you know they now they do require uh, a mask and uh, temperature checks uh before you're allowed to walk into the building uh and they're they're closed on monday but they're available from 12 to 6 every day after that so but yeah and then they do a lot of paranormal investigations throughout the day and stuff like that and throughout the year um but yeah, I just wanted to throw that out there. Sorry. <laughs> no, 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 that's fine. Uh, the only other thing that I was going to say is that it, um, it was featured or it has been featured on uh, Ghost Stories, Sci-Fi's Ghost Hunters, Travel Channel's Ghost Adventures, yep. Paranormal Lockdown on Destination America, as well as Portals to Hell and most recently Travel Channel's Destination Fear. Yeah. Um, Destination Fear is actually not that bad of a show. I actually like it a little bit. No, it's not. Um, it also was featured in uh, Bethesda Game Studios 2008 video game Fallout 76. Yep. Under the name Fort Defiance, acting as a base for the Brotherhood of Steel, one of the game's main factions. Um, right. And the facility is featured in episode sixty of the podcast Lore. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I've heard about Lore. Um, they, they, they. Uh, I understand they, they do have a lot of like they talk about uh, different haunted places and different uh, things. They talk about. I think the first episode they talked about uh, the legend, folklore, and legends about vampires and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they talk about um, there's different like hauntings and they talk about different you know things that have happened and you know axe murders and you know stuff like that and they've been around i think they started in like march of 2015 and now that i think they're still 
going on. They actually the, the the latest episode that they dropped was back on my my birthday back on the eighteenth, and uh, it's uh, the episode's entitled "Suffer the Children." Um, it's a, an exploration of the circumstances surrounding the the witch trials in uh, uh, witch trials in Sweden, uh, including the uh, Torsaker witch trials in which seventy one people were decapitated and burned at the Tekasher uh, at the uh, Torsaker Parish in 1675, uh, and it's considered uh, described this witch trial as one of the largest mass executions in Sweden's history and the largest execution on a single day ever recorded on record for any witch trial. I think I found me some new podcasting listening material. <laughs> I may have to check out this podcast because that seems like it's it, it would be very interesting. Kind of similar to, you know, what we're doing in a sense. So I'm always interested in hearing other people's opinions about different things. So right. definitely want to take – definitely want to uh, definitely want to see that. Um, that being said, though, man, yeah, I mean, this place – I mean, again, we talk about, you know, like, I mean, the lobotomy project just – <laughs> just you know like that just like man like you really want to give somebody a lobotomy you know just a you know it, you take the prefrontal cortex of the brain and we're gonna you know cut off part of the frontal lobe and you know we're gonna we're gonna we're, basically we're gonna take a big old stick and we're just gonna root around your, your, your open skull no no thanks i'll just die <laughs> right I don't, I don't want you fucking with my brain too much it's already fucked up enough as it is <laughs> that being said that being said out of all the ones we've talked about this evening, which ones did you, which I think all of them were, were very, very interesting, but which ones stood out to you the most? Uh, I mean, they were all, all very interesting. Um, definitely the last two, the trans allegedly lunatic asylum, the uh, West Virginia penitentiary there. Um, also the, the Blenner hotel, because, uh, you know, I was here first. You damn right you were. You go ahead. Uh, I mean, they were all. Uh, the history that we were given about the town of Harper's Ferry, that was interesting. Yeah, uh, yeah. The story of Elizabeth Moore from the Morgan, from uh, West Virginia University, Morgantown. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. I, ugh, it's hard to the one, pinpoint one. The, the I, Greensboro I ghost was, yeah, the, the Greensboro ghost was also a good one. Uh, Mamie Thurman, you know, and, and that whole story, us being somewhat of an investigating, uh, you know, kind of thing. I think the, the one that I won't say that I was kind of near about, even though it was kind of interesting, but the one that I was kind of near about was a uh, Droop Mountain Battlefield in Pocahontas County. Um, that one was kind of, you know, like in order of like interest, like that one kind of like I didn't get as I didn't wasn't as interested in that one as I was many of the other ones, right. or even the or even the the uh, the Lake Shawnee amusement park was kind of you know not as you know thought provoking or you know stuff like that you know um, as the other ones were. But yeah, def I mean definitely um, twenty two Mine Road, uh, the Lewisburg Historic District. Uh, Harper's Ferry, obviously Morgantown, the, the, you know, the hotel, obviously Moundsville State Prison and the lunatics. Man, just yeah, this episode, in my personal opinion, 
like I enjoy that there's not one particular one. Even the ones that were kind of eh, were still interesting on a whether you want to look at it from a historical level or from a just a, para, a paranormal level, they were all very interesting in some aspect. Um, right. But, you know, which which I really thoroughly enjoy this this particular one. And uh, it's 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 about to come to an end because we got two more episodes left. We got Wisconsin and we got Wyoming. Uh, and um, yeah, so that being said, ladies and gentlemen, thank you guys so much for tuning into this episode. We hope you guys enjoy it. And anybody from the state of West Virginia, if you've if you heard of these stories or you have want to talk about maybe your own experience with any of these hauntings that we've talked about this night, or if you want to talk about a different haunting that maybe we didn't talk about tonight. You know, send us a message. You know, we're always down to, to, to hear from our fans. Uh, anytime we, anytime we hear from you guys, it's always you know great. You know, and we we, we love you know having conversations like that. Um, that being said, though, Chip, anything you want to say before we get out here tonight? As always, check out MovementRadio.us. That is your one-stop shop for all things Movement Radio. And thank you, thank you. Thank you for over 18,000 downloads. Yes, 18,000. Without you guys, we couldn't do what we do. Absolutely. And speaking of us doing what we do, shout out to all of our sponsors. want to say a big shout out to Sean Thompson at Thompson Personal Training. Um, all of his information about pricing and all of his information about workout schedules and things of that nature, go check him out at Thompson Personal Training on Facebook. Uh, cardio. Uh, strength and conditioning, uh, weightlifting, boxing, uh, yoga, some karate, you know, take your pick, pick your poison. Uh, but yeah, he'll definitely help you get in the best shape of your life. Um, again, that's Sean Thompson or, Sean, or Thompson Personal Training on Facebook. Shout out to our good friends, Jerry and Jennifer over at the Chronic Conversation Podcast. Andrew and Sean over at the Warrior Workout Network. Our good buddy, Ivan Montanez, twitch.tv slash Unleashed Demon. That is his Twitch channel. Go show your support for him. And yeah, thank you guys for listening to this episode of The Hauntings of. Um, like I said before, we got two more episodes of The Hauntings of left in terms of the United States. And um, yeah, we, it, we're, we're, getting, we're getting to the wire, but I got to be honest, it's it's been a fun ride so far. And we got, you know, a lot more left to talk about. And I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Chip, I know Chip's looking forward to it. And uh, we hope you guys are looking forward to it. So again, thank you guys so much. We love you. We appreciate you guys. And we will see you guys right back here in two weeks with another episode of The Hauntings Of. And we'll see you back here next week for another edition of Movement Radio. Chip, let's hit him with the outro. Please do not leave without leaving a like, comment, share, and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. Go follow us on all of our social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Check out the YouTube channel and subscribe. Click that bell to get notified of our latest videos. And once again, check out movementradio.us. I am Chip Hazard. And I am Talon Williams. And this is Movement Radio. God's plan.